Section 29 Refuges for the Children of the Streets. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Hirsch. For the waifs and strays of the streets of London, much commiseration is expressed, and far more pity is deserved than is bestowed. We have no direct purpose of entering on a crusade on their behalf, apart from our attempt at changing the hearts and lives and improving the circumstances of their parents. Our main hope for these wild, youthful outcasts lies in this direction. If we can reach and benefit their guardians, morally and materially, we shall take the most effectual road to benefit the children themselves. Still, a number of them will unavoidably be forced upon us, and we shall be quite prepared to accept the responsibility of dealing with them, calculating that our organization will enable us to do so, not only with facility and efficiency, but with trifling cost to the public. To begin with, children's creches, or children's day-homes, would be established in the centers of every poor population where for a small charge babies and young children can be taken care of in the day while the mothers are at work instead of being left to the dangers of the thoroughfares or the almost greater peril of being burnt to death in their own miserable homes by this plan we shall not only be able to benefit the poor children if in no other direction than that of soap and water and a little wholesome food but exercise some humanizing influence upon the mothers themselves. On the farm colony, we should be able to deal with the infants from the unions and other quarters. Our cottage mothers, with two or three children of their own, would readily take in an extra one on the usual terms of boarding out children, and nothing would be more simple or easy for us than to set apart some trustworthy, experienced dame to make a constant inspection as to whether the children placed out were enjoying the necessary conditions of health and general well-being. Here would be a baby farm carried on with the most favorable surroundings. Industrial Schools I also propose, at the earliest opportunity, to give the subject of the industrial training of boys a fair trial and, if successful, follow it on with a similar one for girls. I am nearly satisfied in my own mind that the children of the streets taken, say, at eight years of age, and kept till, say, twenty-one, would, by judicious management and the utilization of their strength and capacity, amply supply all their own wants, and would, I think, be likely to turn out thoroughly good and capable members of the community. Apart from the mere benevolent aspect of the question, the present system of teaching is, to my mind, unnatural and shamefully wasteful of the energies of the children. Fully one half the time that boys and girls are compelled to sit in school is spent to little or no purpose. Nay, it is worse than wasted. The minds of the children are only capable of useful application for so many consecutive minutes, and hence the rational method must be to apportion the time of the children, 
say, half the morning's work to be given to their books, and the other half to some industrial employment. The garden would be most natural and healthy in fair weather, while the workshop should be fallen back upon when unfavorable. By this method, health would be promoted, school would be loved, the cost of education would be cheapened, and the natural bent of the children's capacities would be discovered and could be cultivated. Instead of coming out of school or going away from apprenticeship with the most precious part of life forever gone so far as learning is concerned, chained to some pursuit for which there is no predilection, and which promises nothing higher than mediocrity, if not failure, the work for which the mind was peculiarly adapted, and for which, therefore, it would have a natural capacity, would not only have been discovered, but the bent of the inclination cultivated, and the life's work chosen accordingly. It is not for me to attempt any reform of our school system on this model, but I do think that I may be allowed to test the theory by its practical working in an industrial school in connection with the farm colony. I should begin probably with children selected for their goodness and capacity, with a view to imparting a superior education, thus fitting them for the position of officers in all parts of the world, with the special object of raising up a body of men thoroughly trained and educated, among other things, to carry out all the branches of the social work that are set forth in this book, and it may be to instruct other nations in the same. Asylums for Moral Lunatics There will remain, after all has been said and done, one problem that has yet to be faced. You may minimize the difficulty every way, and it is your duty to do so. But no amount of hopefulness can make us blink the fact that when all has been done and every chance has been offered, when you have forgiven your brother not only seven times but seventy times seven, when you have fished him up from the mire and put him on firm ground, only to see him relapse and again relapse, until you have no strength left to pull him out once more, there will still remain a residuum of men and women who have, whether from heredity or custom or hopeless demoralization, become reprobates. After a certain time, some men of science hold that persistence in habits tends to convert a man from a being with freedom of action and will into a mere automaton. There are some cases within our knowledge which seem to confirm the somewhat dreadful verdict by which a man appears to be a lost soul on this side of the grave. There are men so incorrigibly lazy that no inducement that you can offer will tempt them to work so eaten up by vice that virtue is abhorrent to them, and so inveterately dishonest that theft is to them a master passion. When a human being has reached that stage, there is only one course that can be rationally pursued. Sourfully, but remorselessly, it must be recognized that he has become lunatic, morally demented, incapable of self-government. 
and that upon him, therefore, must be passed the sentence of permanent seclusion from a world in which he is not fit to be at large. The ultimate destiny of these poor wretches should be a penal settlement, where they could be confined during Her Majesty's pleasure, as are the criminal lunatics at Broadmoor. It is a crime against the race to allow those who are so inveterately depraved the freedom to wander about, infect their fellows, prey upon society, and to multiply their kind. Whatever else society may do, and suffer to be done, this thing it ought not to allow, any more than it should allow the free perambulation of a mad dog. But, before we come to this, I would have every possible means tried to effect their reclamation. Let justice punish them, and mercy put her arms around them. Let them be appealed to by penalty and by reason, and by every influence, human and divine, that can possibly be brought to bear upon them. Then, if all alike failed, their ability to further curse their fellows and themselves should be stayed. They will still remain objects worthy of infinite compassion. They should lead as human a life as is possible to those who have fallen under so terrible a judgment. They should have their own little cottages in their own little gardens, under the blue sky and, if possible, amid the green fields. I would deny them none of the advantages, moral, mental, and religious, which might minister to their diseased minds and tend to restore them to a better state. Not until the breath leaves their bodies should we cease to labor and wrestle for their salvation. But when they have reached a certain point, access to their fellow men should be forbidden. Between them and the wide world there should be reared an impassable barrier, which once passed should be recrossed no more forever. Such a course must be wiser than allowing them to go in and out among their fellows, carrying with them the contagion of moral leprosy, and multiplying a progeny doomed before its birth to inherit the vices and diseased cravings of their unhappy parents. To these proposals, three leading objections will probably be raised. One, it may be said that to shut out men and women from that liberty which is their universal birthright would be cruel. To this it might be sufficient to reply that this is already done. Twenty years' immurement is a very common sentence passed upon wrongdoers, and in some cases the law goes as far as to inflict penal servitude for life. But we say further that it would be far more merciful treatment than that which is dealt out to them at present and it would be far more likely to secure a pleasant existence. Knowing their fate, they would soon become resigned to it. Habits of industry, sobriety, and kindness with them would create a restfulness of spirit which goes far on in the direction of happiness. And if religion were added, it would make that happiness complete. 
there might be set continually before them a large measure of freedom and more frequent intercourse with the world in the shape of correspondence newspapers and even occasional interviews with relatives as rewards for well-doing and in sickness and at old age their latter days might be closed in comfort in fact so far as this class of people are concerned we can see that they would be far better circumstanced for happiness in this life and in the life to come than in their present liberty if a life spent alternatively in drunkenness debauchery and crime on the one hand or the prison on the other can be called liberty second it may be said that the carrying out of such a suggestion would be too expensive to this we reply that it would have to be very costly to exceed the expense in which all such characters involve the nation under the present regulations of vice and crime but there is no need for any great expense seeing that after the first outlay the inmates of such an institution if it were fixed upon the land would readily earn all that would be required for their support third it may be said that this is impossible it would certainly be impossible other than as a state regulation but it would surely be a very simple matter to enact a law which should decree that after an individual had suffered a certain number of convictions for crime drunkenness or vagrancy he should forfeit his freedom to roam abroad and curse his fellows when i include vagrancy in this list i do it on the supposition that the opportunity and ability for work are present otherwise it seems to me most heartless to punish a hungry man who begs for food because he can in no other way obtain it but with the opportunity and ability for work i would count the solicitation of charity a crime and punish it as such anyway if a man would not work of his own free will i would compel him end of section twenty nine recording by tom hirsch